Hello, and welcome once again to Seasons of Skyrim. And if I've done everything correctly, you did not hear our usual intro. That's because today we're playing a special game. Before we get into the game, we should probably all introduce ourselves. With us, as always, we have... Captain Edmondson. <laughs> What's your real name? Oh, Nate. Well, Nate. <laughs> Shannon. And Chris. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> and I'm your host, Scott. Today, I will be setting aside my DM hat to take on the totally different role of GM. That's because today, we won't be playing our usual D&D. With book one complete, we're basically preparing for book two. Between these books, and future ones if this all goes well tonight, we'll be playing an interlude game. These are intended to be one or two chapters long, but we'll find out as we go. For today's interlude, we'll be playing a D&D based minigame called The Glamour, written by, and I hope I get this name right, Scott Blake. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I also want to give a special thanks to Patrick Dunkerley for acting as consultant and sounding board. In addition to his day job, Pat helps organize and design mega games. And if you haven't had a chance to join one, they are an amazing experience. Anyways, back to the Glamour. The Glamour is a new project I've been writing specifically for Seasons of Skyrim, but could be adapted to most game settings. It's intended to be a GM light game that focuses on dealing with issues and moving events in the world from a higher perspective than what D&D typically allows. From a very basic view, the Glamour is a group of extremely wealthy and influential people who operate behind the scenes of the world around them. Each player has two roles. First, a member of the Glamour. This is the player's major character, who will be making the decisions and commanding forces. Second, each player also controls a companion for their major character. Companions are the muscle, enforcer, and personal bodyguard for members of the Glamour. Because the Glamour is meant to be GM light, I will also be playing not one, but two Glamour members. The pressure will still be on Nate, Shannon, and Chris, so I can steer us through the mechanics of the game. That is definitely still in the playtest phase. So, before I bore everyone to sleep with rules, let's talk characters. Character creation is fairly simple, with all of the information for members and companions fitting on a one-page character sheet. Let's keep this simple. Who wants to go first? I do have a couple characters, but it's up to you who gets the first spotlight. I can provide an explanation as we go of different character aspects, so it's probably better if somebody else volunteers. I'll go. All right, Shannon. Let's start with your character, then. First off, what is the name of your member of the Glamour? <clears throat> Nowhere. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me this time. It was not Chris this time with the douchey name. Oh, <laughs> name is Nowhere. Uh, I, okay, I'm already first? loving this. <laughs> Members of the Glamour do view themselves as extra special and sure, you can call yourself Nowhere if you want. I had that name long before I knew anything about the glamour. <laughs> All right. What is Nowhere's background? Where does their wealth and influence come from? Various and sundry criminal activities. I was raised by wood elves, but I'm not a wood elf. I'm a tiefling. Um, oh. And I met another tiefling when I was a young person who kind of brought me into like the underworld of society and that's kind of where I've made my money. We call it import-export. Okay, what? <laughs> this is a criminal activity. 
So yeah. what are you actually doing? Conning people. Just out of money or out of property? Out of money, out of property, but mostly money and influence. Why do they give it to you? Because I'm a really good talker. No, I mean... <laughs> mm, thank you. What do they think they're getting out of it? Oh, no, there's a question. What do they think they're getting out of it? Are you like a grifter? You'd sell big paintings? Or, you know, a bridge that's not really for sale? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. Thank you for clarifying that for me. Because <laughs> I was like trying to a, figure out what I would, what I did. You're like, what's her face on leverage? Yeah, I sell them stuff that's not mine to sell. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right. What's your public face? And in this context, to those outside of the glamour, who are you? I run an import-export business. It's kind of the base of our criminal activity. So we do actually import and export some things. But that's not where the money's coming from. That's not where the real money's coming from. There is some money in that, but it's not actual money. Okay. It's enough to keep the front going. All right. Next is location. Where is your sphere of influence? In all of the world of Skyrend, where is yours? I'm on Amranor. My sphere of influence is small, limited really to one port city, of so, which you can tell me the name. <laughs> you can tell me the name. It's your city. Oh. But for those who don't know, because this has never been mentioned before, Amranor is a minor continent in the northwest, existing mostly in the Spring Band. It's a very long and slender landmass with a concave coastline. It's actually one of the smallest continents on the planet, but apparently it's where nowhere makes their money. <laughs> I love that he hates the name. <laughs> I love that he hates it. Race, we've already covered. You're a tiefling. Yes, sir. Look, how do you present yourself to the world? What is your outward appearance? I generally dress to suit my situation. Like, in this case, for example, knowing that I come into the glamour, like, provisionally, I would be dressed not super flashy, knowing that I that when you come in, you're already on thin ice, right? All right, let's touch on that real quick, then. Within the glamour, there are four ranks. The highest being authors, followed down the line by adepts, adjuncts, and aspirants. Nowhere is an aspirant. Mm-hmm which means you are still being sponsored by another member of the Glamour, but that does not reduce your level of influence or funding. You are still incredibly wealthy and influential. It just means you're new. And if you screw up, it's going to go that much worse for you. Yeah. So you're addressing your appearance. Uh, It's In this particular situation, I would be looking to blend in rather than stand out yet until I get the lay of the land. I like to know what I'm up against before I start conning oh, people, hey. basically, right? <laughs> In which case, I'm so glad you went first, then, because, hey, I don't, you don't know who any of these other people are yet. Let's see. Next is personality. How do you carry yourself and interact with others? What is Nowhere's general attitude, outwardly? Surprisingly upbeat, given her upbringing and circumstances. The only thing I actually wrote down was, I can talk my way out of anything. Okay, Nowhere has a silver tongue. Yeah. Got it. It's how but I got upbeat. by. Yeah. All right. And finally for Nowhere, what is your vice? This is kind of a thing I've pulled from another game, although it doesn't have quite so much of an impact mechanically. But basically, in what do you overindulge? At times, even you can be overwhelmed by the world and the people within it. And when this happens, you indulge in your personal vice. 
It's not necessarily a secret from other members here in the Glamour, but when you do indulge, it lets certain things slide. Oftentimes important things. So what is Nowhere's vice? Pickpocketing. One step back past, like, general thievery. Just legit pickpocketing. Where does Nowhere do this? Anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, if you got stressed out in a meeting of the Glamour, would you just start picking the pockets of the people in the room? Or would that be, like, pent-up frustration energy? Like, in an actual, like, meeting? Or in the whole, like place where the glamour is taking place within the meeting itself let's limit that first within the meeting itself that's a good question i don't know that's fair having never been in that situation before i don't know because i definitely have been in business meetings where it was not going my way and i started looking at the pocket watch of the guy next to me and going I can just take it. I can just take it. You never know. I can just take it. <laughs> Wonderful. That's that's actually a completely fine answer. You've already said nowhere hasn't been to one of these meetings before. So maybe, maybe not. Right. And accompanying nowhere, accompanying this member of the glamour, there is your companion. So let's learn a little bit about them real quick. What does your companion wield as a weapon? Assume. What makes them an immediate threat? Their weapon is a scimitar, but they're more of a threat because they're a druid. They like to be animally. <laughs> so magic is the real threat. Yeah, magic is the real threat. Okay, magic is the weapon in that case. It's yeah. okay for them to also have a scimitar. Yeah, but yeah, magic. People run from your companion because of the animal and druid powers. Yeah. What's your companion's name? Adron Galanadel. Adron Galanandel, right? Galanadel. Galanadel. Oh, yourself, kid. I mean, it's so, a moon whisperer. Moon whisperer. It's in the DMD book. I'm not that much of a douche. Come on. It's in there. Oh, like, no, your other character is named Nowhere. Excuse me for connecting lines. That's that in the DMD book? Yes, it is. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, no, yeah, because it's a tiefling thing. Because it's a tiefling yeah. thing. Uh, There's a purpose. <sighs> I just named them Nowhere because I'm an asshole. Like, I chose both of these names just because I'm an asshole. Well, but your character is also an asshole. Well, that's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, what is your companion's race? Wood Elf. Okay, that's a Wood Elf. What's their name again? I'm sorry. <laughs> Adron Galanadel. Adron. They just go by Adron. Don't have to call him by his full name. Okay. What is their look? As a companion, they are an extension of you, the member. And their appearance reflects upon you. So how do they look? I like him to appear as non-threatening as possible. He is very short for an elf, and I'm very tall, so he already looks very non-threatening. But I like to um, have him dress very simply, very plainly. Oftentimes he won't carry his actual weapon. I want him to just look like this is... This is my servant. This is my person that, like, just kind of hangs out with me. Okay. And finally, what is your companion's personality? How do they carry themselves and interact with others? They're a little bumbling, so he doesn't talk much. But I have found that he learns quickly, and he will do anything I say without question. Very necessary for a companion is to not talk back. Yeah. I like it. He's a little awkward in trying to interact with people, so he doesn't. Much. Okay. I mean, like, verbally interact. Right, right. Yeah. 
Uh, and we'll skip over the stats and stuff for now so we can get to other characters. Who wants to go next? I guess that's me. Alright. I'm last because I'm the first last time. Does that mean I'm going two in a row before even you go? Which is oh, fine. Yes, it does mean that. <laughs> Alright then. Nate, let's talk about your member of the glamour. Okay. Let's start with their name Captain Edmondson. Good name. It's a good name. Captain Edmondson. Alright. Love the name already. Male? Female? Male. Non-specific? Okay, male. He. Where does Captain Edmondson's wealth and come from? What is their background? Well, I am a famous sea captain and explorer based out of the continent Amranor. Same continent as nowhere. Same. Wonderful. And what's your public face? Is that the explorer to the outside world? Is that how you're known? It sort of depends on which continent and what I've done on your continent, but for the people, <laughs> but for the people on the continents where I reside, yeah, I explore. I am celebrated. What is Captain Edmondson's location? Where is his current sphere of influence? Still Amarinor. Still Amarinor. And how is he viewed there? As a famous and well reputed explorer. Wonderful. Captain Edmondson's race. What is he? He is a human. Nice and basic. I love it. Next up is a uh, look. How does? Captain Edmondson present himself to the world. So he looks like very much a celebrated captain. He carries a nautical theme with him everywhere, but it's not always Ahoy. the most practical. How so? <laughs> well, or so? Well, he, he, so he's got his captain's hat, because he's got to have a captain's hat, right? And he's got like a puffy sailor shirt, but it might be mm. a little more nice than your average sailor shirt. He's got some medals pinned to it, where they come from, or whether or not they're real is anyone's guess. <laughs> And it, Which brings me to a, a very important point that I know you brought up earlier before we start recording. Is Captain Edmondson a captain in the military sense or just in that he runs the ship? No, he runs a ship and even a small fleet of ships. Okay. Oh, and it's important yeah. to note, you don't answer to the military. No. Those aren't necessarily military medals. So Correct. Literally just they are not. Gave yourself. They're not military medals. <laughs> well, well they're, they're medals from army. Well, <laughs> when you're in the employ of various monarchs, they tend to bestow medals upon you, at least when you do a good job. Yeah, for recognition. Yeah, for being Services. very brave and such. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is your personality? How do you carry yourself and interact with others? Well, the big thing is I'm loyal to whoever pays me. Okay. How is that reflected in your interactions? You're loyal. Is that a, a very friendly loyalty? Towards... A very curt loyalty? It's friendly towards whoever's currently my friend. Okay. But what if they're not paying? What if this is just somebody you meet on the street or out at sea? Well, when you're a celebrated captain like me, you have to be, you have to be willing right to rub elbows with the common man. So I like to think they think well of me. Not Lord Carver was bad. I already hate him. <laughs> I already love it so much. I hate him so much already. All right. Uh, two seconds. And, <laughs> so good. And finally, for Captain Edmondson, what is his vice, and what does he overindulge? Just, the world's too much. Just a couple of things. I really practice self-restraint at all, or most times, but. <laughs> You know, alcohol, shows of wealth and luxury. And maybe a little too much a taste for adventure. What was the last adventure you went on as part of a vice trip? Come see my island. (laughs) Go to my island in the sea. Well, yeah, it was an island, actually. It was a nice sort of grotto-style island with little, you know, grotto things. And mermaids. 
and treasure. Seahorse. And seahorse. And seahorse. Seahorse are just mermaids. Right? <laughs> Not necessarily. There are other creatures that live in the sea. There are tritons. Uh, separated. If you swing that way. Whales. <laughs> I mean, just regular sea creatures. You want to get it on the Manatees. <laughs> sea cows. <laughs> Kelp. <laughs> You want to get it on with some kelp? That sounds like a recipe for a rash. <laughs> Depends on the kelp, I bet. <laughs> that seaweed is good for some. Oh, things. I'm just. Oh, you need a good seaweed research rep? Research. Right? How we can go about. <laughs> Come oh, back later. Uh, it's going out of control real fast. We just couldn't kelp it. Oh, all right, Captain. Mm. I already love it. You're the worst. So much. <laughs> no, he's uh, not the worst. He's the worst. <laughs> yeah, right? Already loving Captain Edmondson. He's uh, great. Let's go to his companion. Your bodyguard, confidant, and representation of power all in one. Yeah. What is your companion's name? His name is Lemons. L-Y-M-M-O-N-S. Lemons. Though he does also answer to Lemons. <laughs> Actually, he answers to pretty much anything. Is that just what Captain, when the captain calls him, or will he answer to Lemons or whatever if anybody calls him? No, just when the captain calls him. <laughs> Fair enough. For Lemons, then, what is his weapon? What does he wield that makes him such a threat to oh, others? Cutlass. Ooh. Also, his you know stature and build contribute. All right, now you have to tell me about his stature and build that makes him so scary. He's just very tall, very muscular, lean but muscular. Often is shirtless, so his. <laughs> I'm realizing the limitation of physical gestures here, but <laughs> but he's very ripped. Is, the, right, is I think the gesture I'm going for. Does he spend a lot of time like swinging from rope to rope on the ship, diving into the waters to fetch stuff? And just, oh like, yes, he's, mm, he's ship ripped. Oh he's yes, shipped. I make sure he does. He does whatever he has to do to stay in shape. Okay, what is his race? He is also a human. Good to know. And tell us about his look. Well, he's... Aside from his physical appearance, what does he wear, and how is he uh, presenting himself? He is also a sailor, but much more humble a sailor than me. He has not achieved the same, you know... Oh, of course not. Right, right. So so much more humble sailor. Typical <clears throat> sailor get-up. Um, he, <clears throat> he is missing an eye. He has an eye patch. What happened to his eye? You know, I'm not rightly sure. It was when I first met him... He wasn't missing an eye, so it must have happened on one of our misadventures, one of our... I'm sure it was worth it, whatever it was. Captain Edmondson clearly isn't too concerned then. Nah, he's fine. Still got one eye. That's all you need. Well, it's all he needs. All right. Okay, and finally, tell us about Lemon's personality. He doesn't say much. He is a strong, silent type. Did he lose his tongue, too? No, 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 no. He just, okay. He just... Uh, I think he's not as good with words as I am. He's just not very talkative. So for other people, is that more off-putting or scary? Scary, or... probably. Okay. So when he's quiet, it's unsettling. Like, people don't like it. They wish right. he would say something to cut the tension, but he just doesn't. Correct. Okay. All right. I think I will go next. I think we're going to start with this one. In order to keep the numbers like fairly rounded out and to meet the rules of the glamour to maintain a quorum where at least two authors must be present, 
just because they want to make sure that rules are followed and that their best interests are being looked out for, and that the lower-ranked people aren't running away with the show. But for my first major character, uh, who isn't... Uh, sorry, let's backtrack. Nate, Captain Edmondson, what is his rank? Oh, in the glamour. Yes, what he, is his rank in the glamour? I know he's a captain. He is an adjunct. Okay, wonderful. Uh, and just for a slight bit of comparison between Nowhere and Captain Edmondson, aspirants usually have a sphere of influence about citywide level. A little bigger, a little smaller. It's roughly that area. Whereas adjuncts can go from citywide to regional levels. Definitely a higher rank, a little bit more influence, a little bit more money maybe, but a lot more pull in general. So for my first character uh, is an author, which is at the top of the food chain. There are only six authors ever at any given time. There's one representative from each continent. And my first author, her name is Princess Colette. Not that she's a princess of any current royal family, or to say that she ever really was, but that is how she is addressed now, and how she goes. Her background, Princess Colette gets her money and influence from tribute, basically to prevent tantrums, and she deals mainly in bribery and fear, both her bribing others and other people bribing her. Her public face She's actually usually thought of as a recluse. Most people have never seen her, with no one really knowing what happens day to day with her. That does not lessen the fear. In fact, it may actually heighten it, which we will get to very shortly. Third on here is location. Princess Colette is on the continent of Ataxis, which is the major continent in the northeast, which is almost entirely in the spring band. And as for her race... Princess Colette is a Medusa. Snake hair and everything. Is it turning people to stone? Yeah. Yes. We will get to that very shortly here when I get to the look. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) One of the things that I have said is that members are not physically their own embodiment of threat and power. That is more on the companion side. Normally, Medusas would be a scary sight. Princess Colette, on the other hand, is a special case. We'll get to right now in her look. She's a teen, or at least that's how she looks. Medusas can live for a very, very long time. And the reason why she's not an immediate threat to everybody else in the room here is because she has a permanent mask affixed to her face, which subdues her power. To remove it would probably be extremely painful for her. It is inlaid with gold and unicorn horn, partially for aesthetic reasons, partially for magical reasons, She wears a lot of formal ball gowns, lots and lots of feathers just everywhere. As for her personality, how she carries herself with others, when she does interact with others, she very much so tries to act older than she appears. She has looked like a teen for a very long time and does not like being addressed as such. She wants to view herself and have others view her as an adult. And she will lavish those who praise her, even if it is clearly somewhat of a false praise. And finally, her vice. Princess Colette's vice is vanity. She throws extravagant parties pretty much just to be complimented and have people tell her how adult and beautiful she is. But when she hosts these, the wealthy know that it's going to be a great party and they will be able to get lots of connections, but they definitely do need to flatter her. And she will let pretty much all of her other worries go to the wayside in order to be praised but she will definitely hold a grudge against anybody who judges her based on her appearance. Judges her negatively. Positive, that's a different story. Oh yes, her companion. 
is an air elemental named Horatio. (laughs) His weapon is, of course, just raw strength and fury of his wind. As far as his look goes, he is a swirling mass of air with thick metal armor that shines in the sun. Just covers his where a head would be and torso. There's no leg armor or anything like that. Largely ornamental on something like an air elemental, but Princess Colette likes having a familiar form around. It makes her feel safer, and it makes him look a little bit more intimidating. His personality, he is very gruff, he is very short-tempered, and he is very demanding. You do not want to get on his wrong side. Let's take a break from my characters and go to Chris. All right. Start off with your member's name. Okay. Uh, name is closely tied to race because I did a little research. I hate naming characters. So my character is a Goliath, and Goliaths tend to have three names. They have a first name, a tribe name, or a nickname, and then their um, their tribe's name is their kind of last name. So his name is Mavic Tribeless Nolakulane. Tribeless? Tribeless. The nickname he's given himself because... Long story short, he was kidnapped and now has no tribe. That was how he got to the island. Very long story. Four page long story. This is fun. Uh, which we don't need to go oh, over no, right now. What is Mavic's rank among the Glamour? Mavic is an adjunct, but I feel like he's he thinks he's very close to moving up to the next level. He's been doing a lot to kind of reach out with his power. Mm-hmm. So he has the feeling he's moving up. Whether or not he is, there's no way to tell. He's ready to get onto that yeah. continental level of yeah. power that an adept would have. Okay. What is Mavic's background? Where does his wealth and influence come from? The simple answer is vice. Specifically, uh, he has connections to all your big ones. Gambling, drug trade, what we like to call companions. Separate from how they how companion means within the glamour? Oh, no, this is this is a euphemism for prostitution. Long-term prostitution? Short-term prostitution? A little bit of everything. Okay. And then his origins before he got into all those was uh, was pit fighting and kind of gladiatorial combat. Okay. What is Mavic's public face? His title is Grand Master of the Isle of Indulgence. <laughs> Oof. Uh, is that a self-given title? That is a title that he was allowed to take when he gained control of the Isle. It's definitely not an elected position, but when he took control, everyone liked him so much compared to the last guy that they let him kind of dub himself this. It's also the title that the last guy used. He wasn't creative enough to come up with it himself. All right, then. Yeah, let's go to location. Where is Mavic's sphere of influence? Which is the Isle of Indulgence. I like to think of it as like a combination of Dubai and Vegas. (laughs) So on the surface, it looks like this beautiful place where like families and the affluent go to like vacation but underneath it's got all the sea stuff that you would expect in like old vegas like old old monsters yeah. where is this island of indulgence it is off the coast of otaxis i think we officially said mm-hmm. it was in some sort of bay or something yes all right just to place it otaxis being the major continent in the northeast lies mostly in the spring band, but I'm pretty sure we decided that this island lies right on the border between spring and autumn. Yes, so the weather's kind of constantly perfect for vacationing. It's very nice. You get a lot of daytime light. You get a lot of nighttime light. Comfortable weather. Hmm. Race. Uh, Goliath. Goliath, and yes. He's big even for a Goliath. Okay. What is his look? How does he present himself to the world? I like to say if you picture what a professional wrestler looks like in a suit, um, it's a little bit like that. 
he's very big, but he's not the type of member of the Glamour who likes to draw attention to himself. But for a different reason, he doesn't like to do the talking. He's not Mr. Words, so his fashion is always on the on the, the cutting edge, and his fabrics are always the best, but they're not made to be flashy. So, like, he's going to be in darker tones, but they're going to be the best that he could purchase. Fair enough. What is his personality? How does Mavic carry himself and interact with others? He's known to be very firm and have very high expectations of those who associate with him, and he's known to have quite the temper if you uh, let him down. Okay, which I think will lead quite nicely into vice. What is Mavic's vice? Uh, Mavic's vice stems from his history and his belief that the only way you can truly know someone is if you face them in Mortal Kombat. And so he (laughs) has a tendency to indulge in that, especially when he needs to know if someone really is trustworthy or if they really did cheat him um, to the point where he will lock himself into a room with someone who he believes cheated him overnight to see which one of them will come out victorious and ignore all of his other responsibilities because he's locked in this room with this dude. Alright, I think this leads uh, very perfectly into a distinction that I've made clear to at least us here at the table between member of the Glamour and companion. Because the role of the companion is to be the enforcer, is to be the physical threat. Something that I have written out here is that it's important to remember that your wealth and influence do not come from your personal physical and magical prowess, even if you do possess such skills. It's totally fine. Those skills may have been necessary when you were still earning your status as they were for Mavic, but you have people to do that for you now, and raising your own hand in violence is seen as a faux pas among members of the Glamour. Rather, people listen to you because they know you can bring your resources to bear against them. So this is definitely a vice because you've got your companion dragging these people to you, and it's not so much that they were afraid of seeing Mavic in person, but they know they're in a location that he controls, and even if they could overpower him, holy shit, there's another world of hurt waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just want to make it clear that it's not like Mavic is this dude punching down buildings. No, he knows his place. He understands the rules and the glamour and is not, and he's also not going to take the power away from his companion, but that his companion knows that this is how things are done for him. But that's why this is a vice. Exactly. So let's go to your companion. This person who is much more of an obvious threat than you. What is their name? Her name is Wingwin. 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 Cool. I'm going to try not to butcher that. Just call her Windy. Just call her Winnie. <laughs> what is Wingwin's weapon? What do they wield that makes them an immediate threat? In the traditional sense, it would be her magical abilities, but I think anyone who interacts with her socially would also comment on her wit and her sharp tongue being a weapon. <sighs> okay, I want to see how I want to phrase this question. Yes, words can be weapons. Um... In the immediate threat sense. She would be wielding magic. But, no, like, yes, she wields magic. Her tongue is a weapon. Has anybody died because of her words? No. It's, it's one of those things where, like, she understands the social conventions and can just as easily injure you with a spell as she would injure your status by saying something to you at a party or something. Okay. What is Wingwin's race? She is a half-wood elf, half-silver dragon. Mmm. <laughs> That's... I don't know, Lucky Wood Elf or Lucky Silver Dragon? (laughs) They loved each other. Okay, that's fair. What is their look? She's one of those women that when she walks into a room, no matter your race, your gender, your gender preference, or lack of, she is going to draw your eye. 
So she's one of the, we're going to say, few half-dragons who actually has developed wings. They're not strong enough yet to be able to fly with, and so they kind of drape over her, and it looks like she's always got a constant silver cloak. Her hair has like a metallic sheen to it, and she tends to dress in very fine and flowy golden robes to complement all of the, or counter the silver in her appearance. Okay. Finally, what is her personality? How does she carry herself? Well, she started as a companion, so... She is um, still a companion. In the euphemistic sense of that she was a prostitute. <laughs> All right, I, yes, I just want to make sure yes. we're drawing we're gonna these We're going to be lines. obvious. We're going to be obvious. Okay. And so she tends to use her sexuality and her flirtatiousness to manipulate people. And so she's very... She's not overt with it, but she's very flirty and very um, understanding of social conventions and uses that to All her right. advantage. Because I don't want to paint her as being this flat, sexual character. Yes. What is she beyond that? She's very aware of social conventions. Does she have an education? Does she have uh, street smarts? Is there a particular musical or performative talent that she has? Beyond just base looks. Yeah, very much so. Uh, She is extremely intelligent. The reason she is as good of a wizard as she is is because she was trained secretly by by the matron of the house that she was employed by. Okay, she's a wizard. Don't know if you have the answer for this or not. What's her school of magic? Illusion. Good, good, good. A wizard who specializes in illusion magic. Very nice. Anything else you have to say about Win-Win? Just that her appearance is specifically designed to counter Mavic's so that when people approach the duo of them, they often misconstrue him as the companion. They often see because she has the prostitute. <laughs> in the glamour sense, they, they okay. We're gonna have to use prostitute now because it just doesn't work that way. No, but when they when they walk into a room together, because everyone is so drawn to her, they assume mm. she is the one with power and he is the muscle. Right. He looks like the auxiliary person yes. in this duo. Got it. He looks like she brought him in to literally be the muscle. And they play that, because they're very much involved in many senses. Okay. Wonderful. In which case, it's time we move on to our fifth and final member of the Glamour for this encounter, for this meeting. Much like Princess Colette, he is also an author among the Glamour. His name is Ikiri the Ageless. For background, where does his wealth and influence come from? Well, the simple answer is time. His wealth and influence comes from investments in land and comfort houses centuries ago. Probably running in a similar vein to Mavic, just in a different location, he can also uh, provide you comfort in many personal forms. Not personally, but uh, through many of his employees. And he's been reaping those benefits for centuries. As far as influence and power comes, he deals a lot in blackmail. He's gotten to know very many influential figures and learn many of their secrets and get a lot of dirt on them that can be wielded at pretty much whenever he wants. Ikiri's public face. Ikiri is the owner of numerous comfort houses, and he is a renowned socialite. He would call them comfort houses. Mavic might call them brothels or whorehouses to a lesser extent. (laughs) But he sells them as comfort houses. If your comfort is of a physical nature, he can see to it. If it's of an illicit uh, drug nature, he can see to that as well. Uh, his location, Ikiri is based out of Sarakar, 
which of course is the continent where all of our action from book one has taken place. His race? He's actually not too sure. Uh, he does not have memory going all the way back. He assumes, as do many others, that he is a celestial, thanks in part to his look, which includes a nice glowing halo behind <laughs> his head. Less the golden ring directly above and more just the radiant light from behind. He is tall and he is broad. He has greenish-brown skin with long white hair. Much of his skin is covered in script tattoos. He does not know what they all mean. And he tends to wear thin blue silk clothing. Very comforting, almost always open up at the chest, revealing a very hairless torso. His personality, how does he carry himself and interact with others? He's a very magnetic person, very flirtatious. Ikiri knows many tales, but he is unsure if they're true. That doesn't make them any less entertaining. And finally, his vice. What does he overindulge in? Well, the simple answer is lust. He is normally able to keep it under control. But when the world gets too much for him, he will engage with numerous new partners and then throw them all to the wayside, leaving a trail of broken hearts and broken marriages in his wake. He's not a good guy. And Ikiri's companion. Her name is Mistress Sengal. Her weapon is magic in the form of a wand. She wields a winged elm wand. Mistress Sengal is a human, definitely getting on in age. Certainly not one of Ikiri's former mates. No, he has her by his side for her power. Her look is spindly, darkened eyes, and short, slick hair. She wears dark blue robes, complementing Ikiri's blue silk. Her robes are covered in ancient script, definitely from like her sources of power and spell crafting. And as far as her personality goes, she has a dark charm. It's a little unsettling, but it's the kind you don't want to look away from. Uh, she's very inquisitive. And I think that rounds out all of our characters for tonight. Which is a lot. <laughs> I know. Okay. Let's get into the meat of it now that we know our characters. I'm already just so in love with every single character. <laughs> These are all terrible people. And that is the point of the glamour. Anyways, this meeting of the glamour convenes a few weeks after the events of the Bard's Rebellion. It's a cool autumn evening as you all approach the island base of your extravagant circle. Today, the island is anchored far off the west coast of Sarakar. The lights of the castle burn bright. How do each of you arrive? How are the last spots you arrived? You tell me. Um. There are boats, there are flying ships, there are animals that could carry you. You swam. I don't know. <laughs> no, we came by boat. Okay, so... Probably not a fancy boat like, like this asshole over here. But, I mean, uh, not as fancy as the professional sea adventurer, but still pretty fancy. But I'm like... Okay, nowhere arrives on a, on a ship with Adron, and as an aspirant, your sponsor among the Glamour is with you. They're not going to bother themselves with actually escorting you throughout the castle. They will simply tell you, there's the castle. The meeting is in there. This is none of my concern today. I'm going to take it easy and enjoy the spa and let you and Adron be on your way. Captain Edmondson. I have a feeling you're arriving by a very nice <laughs> ship. Yes. Since you're a professional sailor. 
a very nice ship by the name of the Tides of Fortune. <laughs> so douchey. But fortune brought me here. <laughs> and the Tides. Mm-hmm. How many masts on this ship? How many is normal on a nice big ship? I, I mean, like, two to three would be sensible. <laughs> uh, like, five. <laughs> All right. Do you have your own flag? Well, yes. Tell me about Captain Edmondson's flag. Well, it's inspired by the name of the ship. So it's like a wave and then gold under the wave, showing that the wave is pushing the gold forward. Mm. I like that. That's good. And Mavic, how do you arrive? Uh, portal. I had a feeling somebody was going to bring this up. and uh, Because portals are actually very special in this world. It's something we haven't covered, because none of you have come across it. I just figured he has a portal gun. (laughs) And I'm willing to let this happen, but I need to know... How do I want to ask this question? (laughs) This is going to directly come into play very soon when we get to one of the scenarios. Okay. Who did you bribe, kill, or persuade to get a working portal? Mortal or otherwise. Or, or you didn't kill a god. <laughs> it would have been one of the other two options. Right. So, would portals be... So, then you're saying that a portal would be something that uh, is not, like, magically linked. Like, a mage couldn't just open a portal. Uh, teleportation and portals exist. Stable ones that go where you want them to go are rare to the point of, like, existing in a singularity. Okay. So then let me rethink how I got here. <laughs> okay. If you, if you did not arrive by portal, we will certainly cover this when teleportation comes up, because it's yes. part of the fun of the scenarios. <laughs> I came by ship. My ship doesn't look nearly as good as his ship. Whose ship? Nowhere's uh, or Captain Edmondson's? Nowhere. Or Captain Edmondson's. <laughs> Um, my ship that I came by is my best smuggling ship. So it's a fast ship, but it does not look fancy. Okay. In fact, most of the members of the Glamour would be ashamed to probably show up in this ship. Alright then. So then, in ascending order, we have Mavic's ship. Small, fast, but not very fancy. Then we have Nowhere's ship. And then, uncertain whose is best, between Captain Edmondson the professional seafaring adventurer, and Ikiri, mm. who also commands a very large and fancy ship. Only three masts, but embroidered sails, gilded railings, massive masthead, carved in an image of himself. <laughs> That's gaudy. And of course, Princess Colette did not travel here by ship. Horatio carried her here. Hey, folks. It's an air elemental. Why not? Okay. As you all arrive and head into the castle, servants offer you drinks and any other comfort you might require. You make your way into a smaller formal meeting room where a massive oak table inlaid with a golden map of the world and polished to a mirror-like shine awaits. Each of the six walls of this room bears a large painting, four of which are covered with thick crimson velvet. You know that each painting holds an image of one of the authors. The two exposed paintings show Princess Colette and Akiri the Ageless in proud poses. Good 10-15 feet tall paintings. 
these are meant to show station and power and privilege, even here among the glamour. Princess Colette and Akiri have called this meeting, and will be joining you shortly. You are free to sit and wait for them. It's all very comfortable, very posh. The first author to join you is Princess Colette, the Medusa. Her presence is accompanied by the wave-like hissing sound of the snakes that adorn her head. Ikiri the Ageless follows minutes later, seeming to take a perverse pleasure in making everyone wait for him, and he calls the meeting to order. With myself and Princess Colette present, we have a quorum and may proceed. Thank you all for coming. Shall we proceed? If there are no objections, of course. And he looks around the room. Nobody objects. No objections. Okay. Today's meeting, of course, will focus around the continent of Sarakar, which has been especially busy as of late. I know that is not the usual sphere of influence for everybody here at this table, but it does represent a good opportunity for everyone, either to solidify their holds or to expand into new areas. Now then, first things first, we have an opportunity. And Ikiri is referring to one of the four scenario types here. The first being an opportunity which any member of the Glamour would know. Uh, there's no direct external opposition in these cases, but your skill is required to successfully seize this opportunity. If you do nothing, the opportunity goes wasted. And he will tell you, there was an old grung wizard named Imelda in the frost swamps of Sarakar, and it is rumored that she has discovered a new and stable version of teleportation. Now, the financial potential of this is immeasurable. There is no threat you just need to control the knowledge. As members of the Glamour, you all know that there is no or very little stable teleportation for going from one location to another. People have opened portals and have teleported themselves. Not with great results. <laughs> uh, let's just leave it at that. But this is an opportunity now to seize control of either the knowledge or the person who seemingly found a way to make this possible. So, when there is a new objective, a very simple thing happens. When presented with a scenario, each player decides privately if they want to participate, or writing a simple yes-no on a piece of paper, whatever's handy. I've got those. Without participating, you have no chance of increasing your wealth, status, or influence. But that also means you don't open yourself up to any immediate personal loss. If no one chooses to participate in any of the objectives, the author is present, Ikiri and Princess Colette, can set a course of action without regard to the standings of the other members. This can include forcing lower-ranked members to act on the objective. So it's usually in the best interest if at least one person wants to. Repeated inaction will often cause other members to doubt your position with the glamour. Because if you don't want more, what are you doing here? Okay. Does everybody have their decision written down? Okay. So everybody go ahead and flip over their cards. Yes or no? We're showing which card. Yeah, you're showing yes or no whether or not your member of the glamour is going to participate in this event. Yes, yes, yes. And the authors have both declined. Mm. Once everyone has made their decision privately, reveal them to the rest of the group, which we just did. Yay. Nowhere, Captain Edmondson, and Mavic have all agreed to participate in this plan. At least put forth a plan in an attempt to win the right to control this scenario. If multiple players wish to participate, which they do, you roll your chosen stats against one another. First, you will explain your plan what you hope to gain, and what stat you're using. So, Captain Edmondson, you wish to gain control of this grung wizard Imelda and her budding teleportation technology. What's your plan, and which stat does it use? I mean, it's obvious what we're set to gain here, teleportation. So which of your stats 
Should I limit myself to the stats I have advantage in? It could be anything you want. But I mean, strategically, is that better? Strategically, you're more likely to win with the ones you have advantage. Okay, let's stop. Let's talk about stats. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. I mean, you bring up a very good point, and it's something that nobody will understand what we're talking about right now. Stats. Compared to D&D, your stats are significantly simplified. You'll still be using the same base six stats. There are no numbers associated with these. You have a stats wheel for your member of the Glamour and one for your companion. You assign advantage, disadvantage, and neutral each to two of the stats on your wheel for each of your characters. So that means Captain Edmondson has advantage in two stats, disadvantage in two stats, and none in the other two. Advantage and disadvantage work just like they do in D&D. You're rolling two d20s. It's just whether or not you're taking the higher or the lower of the two numbers. So, knowing that, you are free to use any stat you want. It just affects the likelihood of your rolling a higher number. So it doesn't have to be a charisma-based plan. If I'm using charisma, it's just that's how I would convince people. If your plan hinges on Captain Edmondson's charisma, you choose charisma. If you want to choose to have it hinge on a different stat, his and his forces... Because these stats are not necessarily limited to Captain Edmondson himself. But it's how you control and influence other people. Okay, so say... I'm just putting this out there as the first thing that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Say his plan is like, well, I got a boat. Let's just go seize this technology and study it. However, I did not put my advantage into strength. I Mm -hmm. put it into charisma and constitution because I figured those are things that my character would have. Makes sense for someone whose forces are always out at sea. Right. Lots of constitution. That's what I was thinking. It comes down to how are you getting this information or this control from who currently controls it. Imelda, a grung wizard, not a threat. If you are using your charisma to persuade or intimidating them to giving it to you, that'd be charisma. Uh... If you are using your forces to go attack and forcefully take it, that would not be charisma. Even if it's you convincing your forces, because... Guess what? They already do what you say. Got it. So I'd have to use strength for that. If you're forcefully taking something from another person, yes. Okay. In that case, my plan is we should go talk to her and get her to understand that she should give it to us for the greater good of, you know, everyone. Of everyone. Well, specifically us, but we don't have to tell her that. But you're putting it forth as everybody. Yeah, everybody. Okay. Everybody can benefit from this technology. It is very much true. If it were applied widely. But that's how Captain Edmondson wants to approach it. With charisma. Convincing Imelda to give it up. Yeah. Nowhere. Question. Do I have to base this on my stats, or can I base it on my companion's stats? These are your stats. These are your forces you're bringing to bear. So me, not them. Okay. Because this is you acting as a member. Thank you for that. That's helpful. In which case, then, my plan, strikingly... Similar to (laughs) Captain Edmondson's, except I would think if she wanted it for the greater good, she would have shared it with people already. So my plan is to convince her that if she shares the technology with us, or she shares this discovery with us, that we can all make a whole lot of money. By which I mean me, not her. (laughs) <laughs> but implying that she will get but a cut. But implying that she will get rich as well as me. Okay. We've got the greater good over here from Captain Edmondson. Pure greed over here from nowhere. Mavic. Well, I was going to send his forces out um, and blockade her and prevent her from getting any food or other resources until she gives up the technology. Which stat 
are you saying this is? Uh, con, because they can outweigh her. That is fair. Okay, so there are three plans out on the table right now. As a group, we'll discuss very quickly the difficulty. With an opportunity, opportunities are based on DCs because there's no external or intrinsic threat. But first, we'll discuss just the general difficulty. Low, average, high, extreme, or impossible. I can tell you that as a grung, not very physically imposing. Grung are frog people. They are small in stature. Imelda just happens to be rather brilliant in a few different areas. Mostly focused on this teleportation technology. So it does not have a lot of offensive things to bring to bear. I would say this is of average difficulty because you're all outsiders and would basically be convincing her to give this information up to help people she does not immediately know. Is there any agreement or disagreement? Makes sense. Because this is an opportunity and there's no opposing role, aside from amongst yourselves, this does have just a flat DC, which I'm going to set right now in secret. Because multiple members here have plans they wish to enact, uh, you'll be rolling against each other first. And whoever gets the highest total will win among the three of you. And that plan will go into action with that roll. And that will be used against the DC that's been set. So each of you are only going to roll for your plan based on your current stat. So Captain Edmondson, uh, you're rolling charisma. Do you have advantage, disadvantage? Advantage. You have advantage on this. Okay. Nowhere. What about you? It's charisma and I have advantage. All right. You'll also be rolling two. And then finally, Mavic. Constitution, I also have two. Advantage or disadvantage? Advantage. So then everybody roll their dice and take the higher. Captain. 14. Nowhere. 17. And Mavic. 15. All right. Nowhere. Princess Colette and Akiri. And even... Captain Edmondson and Mavic agree your plan sounds like is the most likely to work. Money speaks every language. Of course you can just pay somebody off. And what better way to pay somebody off than not actually pay them? <laughs> you just promised them money. That's my business. That's what I do. <laughs> so everybody here agrees, like, we will let Nowhere go and attempt this plan. Ah, here we go. The member with the highest role wins the debate and devotes their resources, marking it off on their sheet. So, for the rest of... This meeting, nowhere can no longer use charisma. That charisma is being put to use elsewhere. You and all of your uh, silver-tongued allies have been put to use here against Imelda. At least they will after this meeting is concluded. The DC for this was only 12, so your plan is a success. The winner uses their winning role to determine their level of success or failure once the plan is put into action. Please note, it is possible to win the debate and still fail in your plan. That was not the case this time. Your plan being a success, tell us how that goes. Is it you or your forces who are meeting with Imelda in the swamp? It's me. I go. I take my companion. Yes, your companion is always by your side. That's a given. So Nowhere and Adron travel to the frost swamps of Sarakar. It's cold. There's slush and ice and snow everywhere. And you meet Imelda in her workshop where she is frantically working away on her new teleportation methods. Oh, strangers, what are you doing here? Amelda, yes? Word of your incredible discovery has reached us even on Amranor. I, I am certain when I say that I'm not the only one who would be interested in this technology. In fact, I am willing to bet that everyone, or as many people as could afford it, would pay any amount of money for this sort of technology. So, I'm here to bargain with you. Oh, well, yes, I'm 
hoping that this uh, benefits everybody in the situation. I hope it does too. Especially you and me as your broker. Uh, A broker? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the term. Oh, it just means that I'm going to help you sell it. Oh, I see, I see. So you get part of the profit and I get part of the profit as the person that helped you sell it, right? And then you as the creator, right? Yes, yes. That's what it means. So, may I see how it works? And Imelda will show you a very rudimentary form of teleportation. There's half a box on one side of the room and another half of a box on the other. And she will... What does she want to put in there? Um, maybe something very basic. There's a bird. One of her birds, like like a lab rat, but a bird. Mm. She has a lab bird. Uh, it's got a little collar around one of its ankles. Its wings are clipped. It can't really fly. She will put it into the half of the box on one side of the room and almost instantaneously will peer out of the box on the other side of the room. Right. It's still small, but should work for bigger. Have you tried it over greater distances? No. With anything bigger than a bird? Just what would fit in the box. But nowhere has now seen teleportation with their own eyes work, at least across this small scale. That's that's a lot of potential. That's still impressive and a lot of potential. All right. Well, Imelda, tell me what you need to make it bigger. Okay. Are you willing to provide pretty much anything at this point? Yeah. And then sell it to people. Yeah. The two of you come to terms on scaling up this operation. Imelda still wants to work in the frost swamps. Her family and friends live here. She's comfortable here. It's a little cold for her liking, but it's what she's known all of her life. But you can certainly send more resources her way. Do you take the prototype? Remember who you are. Yeah, I take the prototype. Okay. So I can start selling it. I have to be able to give demonstrations if I'm going to sell it. And Imelda will certainly take your word for it, knowing that you are good for the money. Not because of anything you outwardly gave her, but your force of personality. I got the cash. Uh... (laughs) So success and failure. Each success with your major character brings you greater prestige within the glamour. For each success, mark one prestige. This is roughly equivalent to XP, but you don't need nearly as much of it. It starts with zero, because nobody's... We haven't played this at all yet. So uh, I start with zero. You start I with zero. You earn one. one. Yay! The way prestige works is you can't use any that you earn the session you earn it. You can only use it from previous. Because right now, you're showing to everybody else how good you are, and you're earning esteem in their eyes. And that can be put to use in a later session. Got it. Okay. Scenario one. Nowhere has successfully seized the opportunity to control a new form of teleportation. And Ikiri, the ages will say, Thank you, member Nowhere, for seeing to this. We hope you will do well and be profitable in this venture, that it may enrich us all. Now, Princess Colette, who will take over for the next scenario? Thank you. Next, we have reports from some very trusted pirate merchants... Um, pirates who are merchants, not merchants who sell pirates. <laughs> um, I'm sure you could find one if you wanted to in this group. Um, have reported an ancient Vorzethi freighter that has surfaced between the southern tip of Sarakar and the northern shores of Vorzeth. Much of this ancient Vorzethi technology has thought to have been lost, and this is a great opportunity to seize some. Before the turn, of course, we all know, that Vorzeth was renowned for creating some of the most powerful items outside of the gods, of course. Now, the dangers here are the darkness, for one, of course, being that far south, but the the bitter cold and the turbulent waters. Chance somebody could be lost at sea here. That would not go very well. So, what we have here is basically a salvage job in the seas. Very dangerous seas. 
the danger is just the environment itself. For passive obstacles, the opposing force will roll against the stat opposite of the one you choose on your stats wheel, if you choose to participate. For example, if you put forth an intelligence plan, it will roll strength against you. If you put forth a wisdom plan, it will be dex. Constitution, it would be charisma. So, everybody gets to decide whether or not they want to retrieve this cargo from some very dangerous seas. The danger here, I would say, is either high or extreme. Of course, the more dangerous it is, the better a reward you're going to get from it. So what are people thinking? Is this high danger or extreme danger? It could be extreme, depending on... If the waves are particularly violent and yeah. the seas yeah. are particularly cold, this could be extreme. If we all agree on extreme, that's fine. And I will adjust the difficulty accordingly. There we go. In which case, I will let you know now that the passive obstacle will be rolling with advantage against you. So, everyone decide whether or not they want to participate. Is everybody ready? Yeah. All right. We'll reveal. Captain Edmondson is a yes. Nowhere. No. Okay. A no from Mavic. No. I risk my fledgling fleet on this thing. Okay. I totally get why Edmondson <laughs> says yes. This is on the seas. Yeah. Also, I grew up there. Well, nearish. Mm-hmm. Ikiri says no, but Colette says yes. She wants access to this power. Potential power. So, if it is your plan versus Colette's, I will let you go first. Well, my plan is a constitution plan. How so? I have not just a boat, but a fleet. So the idea is pull up, you know, do the salvage, but it being a very cold, this isn't really a plan so much as a... No, it could be a plan or... Just using constitution to, yeah. you know, um, not die is the basic thought. Have your sailors gone south into the night sea before? No. But you believe in their their endurance? Yes. They are seasoned sailors and they can handle any waters is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. In which case, I will buy that constitution. And I will be cheering them on from, you know, a safe distance. Your warm captain's cabin. Exactly. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, Princess Colette is not exactly playing to her strengths, but she's putting forth an intelligence plan with... She's still sending ships, but she's not going to get that far off off of the southern tip of Sarakar. She instead wants to employ a series of just high-powered grappling hooks. She believes that she can put her eh, think tank, basically, to work here and create ones that will actually be strong enough to pull this in without destroying the ship. Not the best plan, but that doesn't mean she still wants it. She does not have a fleet at her disposal like you do. Right. So she's trying to use tools instead. So, for a passive obstacle, the opposing force rolls the stat opposite of your own. But first, you and Princess Colette have to decide who's actually going after this. She's... Rolling neutral, so one die. And you have advantage? I do. So you roll two. I got a 14. 17. So Captain Edmondson wins this debate. Princess Colette admits, you know, you're right. I simply don't have the experience on the open waters your men do. By all means, please attempt to retrieve these. Anything you wish to share, of course, would just be a kindness. You're under no like requirement to share this, but... She's just trying to be generous in loss. Basically like, oh no, I meant to lose. Please, by all means, take this. But this is quite dangerous. And your men go out to sea. 17, eh? It's pretty good. So, let's see how the waters treat them. Uh, please mark off constitution right. on your sheet as having been used for this session. That is a 19. Down. 
the seas are not kind to you. Your men have not been down here into the night sea before, as you've previously stated. Where did I write it down? It is possible to win the debate and still fail in your plan. Such is this occasion. Your men do last quite a while at sea, and while attempting to bring this ship in, what happens? What goes wrong? They're not dressed warmly enough, and the swells are bigger than anticipated, so they're unable to survive. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not all of them, but the ones that were... Enough die that retrieval becomes impossible. Yes. Frozen to death in the waters. How... The captains of these ships you've sent out, how are they instructed to deal with those who die on the job? Well, where possible, we try to recover bodies, but, you know, in this instance, I don't want to lose a whole bunch of more men trying to recover men that I've already lost. So... Probably just leave them. Any of the bodies who happen to fall overboard are left at sea. They're dead, they're dead, yeah. Yes, they might last a little bit, but they quickly sink beneath the surface of the water. And your men are just too frightened to go and try to save them. Like, they don't owe them anything personally. This is a job. Yeah. If it were you, that'd be different. Right. Yes, we'll save Captain Edmondson. Right. But Cabin Boy Tom over there, nah. Or if it were somewhere, you know, warm, <laughs> reasonable temperatured waters, then they'd probably <laughs> mm-hmm. try to save them, but not here. Okay, that is unfortunate. Hearing your plan, Princess Colette says, I wish you and your men the best of luck on the seas. Of course you believe they will do well. And though we know that's not going to be the case. Nope. And that Vorzethi freighter will remain uncaptured on the southern tip of the continent. Next we have... (sighs) Quite a dangerous situation brewing here on the continent of Sarakar. As she motions east to where the landmass actually is. It's the indelible truth. Which everybody knows is the media guild. Both you and your main story characters know. They've somehow harnessed a weapon of devastating power, as evidenced by the obliteration of the Royal Embassy a few weeks ago. Which, of course, was that extremely bright light. (laughs) The Royal Embassy in Vermilion, the capital, was destroyed. Now, we need to control this weapon before any army or nation does so. And so that its use only, of course, serves our purposes. Uh, The danger, of course, here is that the weapon gets turned on whoever is sent to retrieve it. Who wants to go and take it? Okay, is everybody ready? Yes. Let's see uh, who wants to participate. Please flip your cards. (laughs) Captain Edmondson says nope. (laughs) Dot (laughs) ABI. Dot ABI. Nowhere. Yes, once a powerful weapon. As does Mavic. Colette does not, but Akiri does. So, let's start with our plans. Nowhere. What stat are you using? What's the plan? Dax. Just a little out of my wheelhouse. But my plan is to send some of my people in to steal it. Steal it? Like, just steal it from them. Yeah. Okay. Like, without them knowing. Yes, that will definitely fall into Dax. Uh, Alright, yeah. No, I think we can leave it at that. Your plan is simple theft, without them knowing. Yeah. Very basic, but gets the job done. Alright, Mavic, what about you? Mavic, just gonna take that plan and raise it up a notch. My plan is to take it by force. 
they are simply reporters who manage to get an obscenely powerful thing. I have I literally have an arena full of gladiators that I will arm and send to take it. That's a very good point. Sorry, Shandy, you were making quite a face there for a moment. What's up? <laughs> what? It has nothing to do with the glamour. I'm just thinking about what the weapon actually is. But my character, this character, wouldn't know anything no. about that. So. None of you know, none of your glamour characters know. know what this weapon is. Other than it is extremely powerful. But given the... And it lit up the night sky. Description you just get. Yeah. Anyway. But now my other character wouldn't know about that. So... Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, aye. You're killing me, Scott. Alright, you're good. That's one of the reasons why I love this. Ikiri also wishes to maintain control of this weapon. He's not going to steal it. He's not going to murder everybody in order to take it. His plan is simply to convince them to point it where he wants it to be aimed. Using charisma. He's a very charming man. He could send a number of very charming people (laughs) to the indelible truth and bribing people with pleasures uh, of the more corporeal nature is not outside of his wheelhouse. Everybody's got a price. And he's willing to see what that is for the indelible truth. So, who has advantage? I do. No from nowhere. Ikiri definitely does. I'm pretty sure I'm not winning this because I have a disadvantage. Let's all roll. But, well, anyway. You have disadvantage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the two things that I'm neutral in, I was like, I cannot come up with a plan that has anything to do with either of those. Nope. What do you got? <laughs> I nowhere. lose. I got a four. <laughs> Mavic, what do you have? 17. Ikiri only manages a nine. Even with advantage, you know, Ikiri's plan just seems a little bit too much, a little too cut and dry, a little too everyday for everybody here at the table. You know, we buy everybody off. It's, this is no different, but... This weapon has already been shown to be extremely powerful and deadly. Yes, force is the answer to force. So we will listen here. 19? Uh, 17. This being an active obstacle. Read this here. For active obstacles, the opposing force will roll the stat representing their threat. GM determines if the obstacles have any advantage or disadvantage on their rolls. Although this is an extremely powerful weapon, it is not a show of strength or constitution. This is intelligence for that, because this was a lot of planning and trial and error and figuring out how to best utilize this weapon. So it's just simply a matter of if they can use it to stop the forces after them without destroying themselves or destroying what they don't want to destroy. And considering who wields it, I don't think they have any advantage on this role. These are not the most learned people. They're reacting in a situation that was not part of the plan. It's a one die roll here. I want them to keep this weapon so bad, you don't even know. 16. <laughs> Alright, Mavic, tell us how this goes. Uh, Your forces meet them in the capital of Vermillion. For all intents and purposes, it's a simple night raid. They, they attack at night uh, under the cover of darkness. Well, and they hear you coming. This isn't a stealth op. Well, no, this no, is... I know that. But okay. they use the advantage that night brings, and they pretty much, like, just they cut a swath through everyone and everything on their path to the weapon. And the weapon is based on a satchel, and they just kind of swath right back out the building. It is the example of might making, let's not say right, but success. <laughs> and then many a dead reporter in their wake. Are they only killing who's in their way? Yeah, they're not going out of the way to, like, murder everyone in the building. Okay. I had to know how bloodthirsty they were. And 
Mavic and his forces will control a very powerful weapon. Mm. 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 All right. Akiri will resume command of the meeting. Uh, I get a uh, prestige for Yes, you get a prestige for winning that. And I mark off my strength because I used it. Mm-hmm. Well, Mavic, we don't always resort to violence, but this may be a time where that is called for. By all means, retrieve the weapon and see to the success of the glamour. Now then, our mm, our next topic here, I'm afraid I cannot introduce myself. Because it is against myself. Princess Colette, if you will. Yes, we have a castigation, which as you all know is a form of punishment among the glamour. Ikiri, last year, fell victim to his own vice. His uh, pleasures of the flesh, so to speak. Spreading this throughout Amranor while on vacation. So, who's from Amranor? Captain in nowhere? Yeah, I'm actually okay. from there. From there. Right. I'm not there. actually from there. All right. I'm from there. You, def- you definitely have heard of this over the past year, because it's not like he moves about too much in secret, Ikiri. When, let's just say, multiple individuals turned up pregnant, <laughs> uh, he sent Mistress Sengal, his companion, to collect any children who survived the birthing process. Nothing against the rules so far. Princess Colette, well, you can hear a smile behind the mask. Unfortunately, one of the mothers, a high priestess of Adaris, whom you all know to be the human god, resisted and was later found dead. This does not go well for us. This is sloppy work, and threatens to bring unneeded attention to us here in the Glamour if this gets looked into too much farther. Would any member here care to lead the castigation? Castigation? Quick here. A situation in which a member of the Glamour must be punished for their misdeeds and or failures. This covers pretty much any slight. There's no minimum or maximum punishment for any infraction. If castigation is called for against a member who is present... They may choose to have their companion perform battle against the companion of the member seeking action. The glamour recognizes power in many forms is not above a good show when it comes to seeking punishment. Such battles are not usually to the death. And Akiri will opt for this option. I'm more than willing to accept this castigation, as is Mistress Sangal on my behalf. Who wishes to leave this? We'll do this as a vote, just like we do any other ones. Yes or no on the cards. Akiri obviously cannot vote. What are we voting? Just whether or not we're castigating, or is voting volunteering to lead, or is it volunteering to send your companion into battle with his? Ah, is okay. a yes vote. Yes. Okay. okay. And there's no stat attached to this because of the castigation. There's a stat. The stat of your companion. Okay. However, you want them to attack. Got okay. it. Is everybody ready? I think so. Let's see those votes. Okay, Colette and Mavic vote no. <laughs> Both nowhere and Captain Edmondson want to lead this castigation. It's the two of you can roll off. It's my continent, yo. <laughs> it is your continent. It is where Captain Edmondson calls home from time to time as well. It's my continent, too. Yo. So you are sending... <laughs> yo. The two of you wish to send your companions into battle against his. The meeting adjourns to a dueling arena. A very large space. Fairly open, dimly lit. And Ikiri sends out his companion, Mistress Sangal. We now have to decide who between your two companions is going out there to fight. How are your companions planning this attack? This will be the stat that you roll with. Strength. You got a big beefy dude, or... Yeah, big beefy dude. Yeah, uh, lemons. Lemons. What about you, Nowhere? 
Let me ask this question because it may have been in the rules somewhere and I like have forgotten them since I read them. Like, are there rules about magic and these kinds of single combat? No, anything is up. You can do anything. Anything goes. In which case my my companion is gonna be using wisdom. As their spell casting. As their spell casting. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. So first, your two companions both try to enter this dueling arena at the same time and size each other up. <laughs> Do you ha- either of you have advantage for this roll? I do. I do. Okay, so go ahead and both roll with advantage. As your companions size each other up and decide who between them wants to go. I got a 19. Yeah, you're going to win. I got right. a 14. A 17 just totally goes to waste. All right. The other one was a 4, so we're lucky I had advantage. Those two dice are... You're done. <laughs> Lemons steps up and just, like, super flexes and gets all aggressive. Causing Adron to back down. There's no shame in it. Only one person gets to fight. Uh, that would also be really intimidating to him as he is quite tiny. <laughs> and Mistress Sangal enters the dueling arena, matching her wits against your strength. It's a battle of brute force versus magic. And that's a 13. So, describe to me how Lennon's beats Mistress Sangal. <laughs> he beats Mistress Sangal. Uh, but... Sorry. <laughs> she's, she's a wizard. Uh, she's casting spells. But. Well, it probably uses his cut list, just, you know. Since this is most likely non-lethal, mostly blunt edge, just, you know, lots of slamming the blunt side against her and That's stuff. Great. He's not also below using his fists, too. He's pretty good in unarmed combat as well. So he physically beats her down. Yeah. Well, first of all, mark off your strength for Got your it. companion. Done. Uh, she will mark off her intelligence. What condition does Lemons leave Mistress Single? Oh, uh, just what's necessary for to consider the matter done. He's not particularly bloodthirsty. I mean, to the point where the other person gives up or is no longer able to move. Yeah. You so tell me at which point Lemons stops. When she yields. Okay. There's a certain point where Lemons just moves in too hard and too fast, and Mistress Single can't compete with that up-close physicality. Anything broken? Probably. What? Shoulder blade? Can that break? Maybe not. Yes, any bone can break. Your clavicle? Like your collarbone? Wait, the clavicle on the front or the scapula on the back? No, not that, not that. Because that one sounds so painful. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. No, maybe nothing broken, just bruised. Can she walk herself back out of the dueling arena? Yeah. Captain Edmondson gains prestige for winning this castigation. Ikiria has been summarily punished. Through his companion. <laughs> well done, Lemons. Good show, old chap. I have a question. <laughs> yes. When you choose a stat and you roll, but you don't win, do you have to mark that stat? No. You can use it again. Yeah. Okay. It's only when you win the roll that you get it marked off. Okay. Because you didn't go into the fight. You didn't use up any of your whatever. Okay. Lemons did use his strength. I just want to make sure. It is now at the point where if Lemons were to want to be strong again, he would not be able to. He must use other tactics. Well, Captain Edmondson, well fought on your companion's behalf. I trust that is the end of the matter, then? That is. Excellent. Now then, shall we readjourn back to the meeting room? Where we can talk about a, a fairly important obstacle. We shall. One that is... Uh, is he from Sarkar? Yes. One that is near and dear to my heart in particular. The Bard's Rebellion. <laughs> Don't make that face. That's the other me. <laughs> yeah. 
The Bard's Rebellion has brought chaos to Karami. Now, this is bad for all of our interests there. I do not have to tell you. But I will. This would normally be a simple task. Except I wasn't speaking hyperbole. Chaos is on the move. In the form of, well, chaos mages, I'm afraid. Three of them. Devout servants of Pathox. In addition, forces from Fort Barbary are gathering to restore the king's order. But they are naturally limited due to the events in Vermilion, which hopefully Mavic over there will be able to tend to. Now the danger here is unknown. It's those damned chaos mages, of course. It's potentially lethal to anyone who goes, to the city, to the area. There's just no telling. It might be nothing. But there is no predicting the actions of these chaos mages. I'm pretty sure this is in extreme danger. So everyone can decide whether or not they want to uh, face these chaos mages. Heading to Karami. Feeling I've been forgetting something. I have. We'll do it for these last three. If anybody wants to. I totally forgot about clandestine efforts. People acting in the shadows. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. See them votes? Everybody votes no. (laughs) (laughs) We're screwed in the other part of the game. Thanks. That's good. I couldn't come up with a good plan. That's, yeah. that's why I voted no. This, like, is, this is a shame. I could not. Because when nobody wants to participate, the authors get to order people around. Uh-oh. Quick show of hands, who's won a scenario already? All won one at this point. We've all won one. You won. I won one, counting the castigation. Okay. Yakiri and Colette turn to each other and whisper back and forth about what's to be done. Who is going to go take action. Because somebody has to. Just gotta put myself in their heads real quick. <laughs> oh, let's be petty. Akiri will address everybody at the table. Well then, the only answer to chaos is of course with force. I'm not willing to devote my own. I would not stand well against such chaos. It would take someone proven strong. Captain Edmondson. You can almost hear a little bit of his resentment having lost the castigation. Damn it. You are to send your forces and stand in these mages' way. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Damn, he said yes, sir. Um, I'll give this up to the captain. Strength or constitution? Strength. Okay. As soon as they come within sight of that city, strike them down. We cannot let that city fall. Understood. Understood. Okay. I feel bad for the captain as much as I hate him. This is going to go poorly. (laughs) I'm so sorry. One thing that we haven't done yet, well, it's because I don't think there's been anyone too too, uh, upset at who's been winning these, uh, is the clandestine effort. This is uh, how you interfere with an action after somebody's plan has already been decided, but for success or failure. So if any of you want to take this success for your own on the private, you may, but this doesn't sound like a situation where that would (laughs) come up. (sighs) Okay. So strength, you said. Yes. What do you have in strength? Neutral. Chaos is wisdom. They are strong in wisdom. Okay. They are rolling with advantage. So, nobody else has chosen to participate. This is an active obstacle. The opposing force will roll the stat representing their threat. Roll your strength. 16. It's not bad. It could have been worse. It's not terrible. could have been worse. I'm still concerned. 18. From chaos. 
so now, unfortunately, Captain Edmondson, he was not planning for this. He was not prepared for this. He went because he was ordered to do so. Yeah. What type of forces do you send? Strong ones. <laughs> strong ones. Not strong enough, apparently. So you just send not. your beefiest, burliest sailors? Are these, like, yeah, uh, I mean, dock I'm... workers? What do we got? Yeah, sailors. All my men are sailors. Right. Most of them. What do they typically fight with? You know, boat things, swords. Hooks. Hooks? <laughs> <laughs> swords, mostly, is the short answer. Peg legs. Cannons if it's, you know, ocean combat, but that's probably not applicable here. Yeah. The bay is too far away from Karami. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. cannons. Just swords, then. Captain Edmondson's forces line up on the road north of Karami, awaiting the arrival of these chaos mages. It's just three of them. Your men feel extremely confident. Oh, that's problematic. Poor men. Tell me what went wrong. I think they underestimated the cast mages. They're like, we're, you know, tough badasses. We sail under the best captain there is. We are strong. There's a lot of us. There's only three of them. How many men did you send? I'm sorry, how many did you send? They don't have to all be men. I don't know, like three cast mages. Maybe like a dozen. Just to be on the safe side. Mm. But... Not enough is the answer. Well, it turns out they're not actually that sure what a cast mage is, so they don't really know how to fight one. They assume they can do it based on their strength and numbers, and mm-hmm. clearly that doesn't pan out that well. Now, there's no predicting chaos, so what is the worst thing that happened to one of the forces you sent? The worst thing? Physical pain, or just, like, the most tragic thing that happened. I'm trying not to go, like, too, too violent. It doesn't have to be violent. What else could it be? I don't know. How do you destroy a person? Not just mentally or physically or emotionally destroy someone. Like, what keeps somebody from carrying on? It could be something that you do to them physically. It might not be. Hmm. No magic is off the table here. Like psychological tricks and stuff? Anything you want. Okay, then the worst thing that happens is one of my men is now convinced that he's a fish. <laughs> <laughs> Not what you were going for. Oh. That's so fantastic. And then he can't breathe normal air. And he's like trying to get underwater and we have to like restrain him he's to keep him from... Does he drown himself? He's constantly drowning. Or do the other or do other members of your crew save this person? Well they they try. But no, he ends up drowning himself. <laughs> because he thinks he's a fish. It's ridiculous. Fish man. That's the worst way to die. That's so funny and so not funny. <laughs> convinced he was a fish. So your crew just rushes these three mages. But that's not enough. Through just a humiliating display. They're all turned aside, pushed down, launched away. And one of these mages just puts a hand on the sailor's head. And you see his eyes just cross and flash. And all of a sudden, he's just gasping at the air and runs down the road to this ditch that just has some water in it from the previous rain and dives in and starts to pretend to swim. Your men are able to keep control of him for a while, like those who survive, and get him back to the boat. And as soon as you pull away from the dock, he just jumps in the sea. They try to save him. They throw life preservers. Men dive after him. But he fights them off and just dives deeper and deeper. Until he eventually just floats up dead. 
It's tragic. It's so it's so funny and so awful at the same time. Like you can't not laugh at it. And then he's floating belly up in the ocean just but like you a fish. But you can't laugh at it either. <laughs> There's no good options. And the chaos mages continue their movement. Damn you, chaos mages. That's gonna suck for us later, bro. I tried. <laughs> I know you did. None of us wanted to deal with it either, which is... Oh, and I used that stat. Right? Yeah, that stat's gone. And Akiri will say, Well, Captain, I'm sure your men are as strong as your companion. I do hope they come out on top. May the seas ever be kind to you. One of them comes out on top. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Akiri, says Princess Colette. Unfortunately, we are not done with our biggest dangers on Sarakar. There is another active obstacle we must take into account. Moving against the city of Earl, which we would hate to see fall to any sort of anarchy or harm. After all, the royal playground is there. We would hate to lose access to that. Sorry. <laughs> Nowhere doesn't do that. Arnus does that. <laughs> Arnus does that. Like, just from somewhere in Karabi, sitting in Count Valance's bed, just... Guffaw. <laughs> now then, there's a giant invasion force. A boy leads the hill giants of Sarakar. This chief, Durkroff, is throwing a tantrum over what he perceives as foreign intervention by Earl Earl. Following the tragic death of his father, uh, Chief Crofton, the new chief, the young chief, is leading the hill giants on a march against the city of Earl, in an attempt that we can only assume is to tear this city down. Out of rage for the loss of his father and this, what we can only assume, was a helping hand extended by our kind ally Earl Earl. The danger here is, of course, the wrath of the giants. Who wishes to intercede? Outside of the glamour, yes, these are those same giants you helped. Yes, this is that same boy chief Darwin was supposed to kill. That <laughs> figured. Success here would mean turning the giants away and securing a prosperous future for the city of Earl. Alright, who's ready? Okay. Let's show The captain says no. Nowhere says yes. Mavic says yes. I was raised by elves, remember? And Colette says yes. So, we got a three-person plan here. Somebody else gets to go first. With what their plan is. By all means. Do you have your plan yet, Mavic? All right, let's hear from you first. Um, my plan is to take a small force of my men, or of my fighters, if you will. I'm intention not actually to fight them, but to bury them in snow. So it would be to set up a trap in which they could then, after waiting to spring the trap, cause an avalanche of some sort to bury the giants in the snow, preventing them from ever reaching our own. Nice, the giants get a second avalanche. <laughs> uh, which stat is this using? Constitution, because they're going to have to wait out in the snow for a very long time for the opportunity to make the right. avalanche happen. So the location isn't hard to get to. It's not so much that you need to sneak around. It's just, no, we're going to get there ahead of time and, and wait around. in the cold for days. Yeah. yeah. And causing an avalanche is easy. You can provide them with something that will cause that. Not a problem. Colette. Colette is going to use simple charisma. This is a boy. He doesn't really know what's best. He's just acting out of childish instinct. Colette is going to send a number of, you know, her retinue down to the road and simply convince him that if, you know, if Chief Durkroff wants the elves out of the way, destroying them isn't the way. Just go be an isolationist amongst yourselves. 
block off your land. Put out sentries. You, know, you don't want Earl to come bug you? Don't let him. You're stronger. Nowhere. I want to get as much knowledge as I can of the history of the area, like the history of the, the giants and how they came to be there and like Earl's history and all of that mm. to know kind of what exactly is going on. And then even though diplomacy is not a stat anymore, we'll call it intelligence. I want to use diplomacy. So you're going to, you want to overwhelm the giants with facts. Yes. Is this getting them to understand, or are you just trying to confuse them with facts? So many numbers, they just don't understand, they just say yes. Um, I'm attempting to overwhelm them with knowledge. Like, okay. with facts and numbers and knowledge to get them to just give up. Good, because that prevents me from asking my next question, which would have been, what knowledge is actually enough to get them to stop fighting? <laughs> like, you know, oh, well, we know this now, good. Yeah. You're confusing. Yeah. You're using your brains against theirs. They're dumb. Whatever. And again, to think like, oh, well, Arnis would want them to understand. Nowhere doesn't give a crap if they understand or not. No. She just wants them to stop. Alright. Does anyone have advantage for this roll? I do. As does Colette. So everybody has advantage. Great. This is going to be some high rolls. Uh, let's go. Alright, Mavic, what did you get? 13. Nowhere. 14. Princess Colette got a pair of 18s. Oh, thank God. If they're, ro- if they're rolling the stat opposite, the stat opposite intelligence is strength, and that's bad. <laughs> well, this is an active obstacle. Oh, okay. So, so they are still using their strength. Okay. Because they are giants. Okay, and so they'll use whatever. Okay. Princess Colette sends a retinue of her people down to just convince them that, you know, be an isolationist group. This is silly. This is silly. What will you gain? Like, fighting Earl, fighting the city of Earl won't bring your dad back. Just go home. Be happy with what you have. And live on your own. If elves want to show up again, go ahead, kill them. I don't care. Let's see how they handle this. <sighs> they are rolling strength, which they definitely have advantage on. Comes to an eleven. Yeah, Princess Colette has convinced the giants, the hill giants, under the lead of Chief Durkroft, to become isolationists. Um, They were already a little wary of people before, so this was an easy sell. As Darwin, Arnis, and Vale knew, like, they didn't want people setting up home in their area. Now they just don't let people enter. They don't even bother asking questions. Someone shows up, they attack. They are turned away from Earl. So the city of Earl goes unseiged, undestroyed. Somewhere Vale is crying. (laughs) Arnis is probably crying, too. Feel a little bad for Darwin now. <laughs> yeah, Darwin's not happy about that either. <laughs> it really sucks to be actively working against your own characters. Well, and that's why I had I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> right. I want to smash the crap out of them. But then I'm like, oh, nowhere was raised by elves. She want to help them. Want to help the damn elves? Damn it. <laughs> that's why it's fun to be on the bad side every once in a while. Which brings us to our last scenario. That Akiri is going to bring forward. Well, now, before we call this meeting to close, there is one final matter of castigation here on Sarakar. A recent aspirant-turned-adjunct seems to have severed ties with the glamour, at least through business. Not normally important man, but we do take offense at this. In Karami, there's a man named Lord Grimm. Now, supposedly, 
Count Valence bought all of his contracts in secret. But it turns out the Count is dead, and Grimm's son sits in his place. And Lord Grimm cannot go unpunished for this. His standing will be reevaluated once we are satisfied. Who wishes to lead this castigation? Hey, Darwin. How are you feeling about your dad right now? <laughs> oh, liked him. Eh. Ernest liked him. Darwin likes him. But, you know. He's not a bad guy. No, he's not. This is to spread light on why he was so concerned all these years. It's making a deal with some bad people. That makes sense. Darwin didn't know that, I don't think. No. No, he wouldn't have. It's not something you guys ever looked into, so I was just like, eh. It's not surprising. Now that I think about it, I mean... It's always been the glamour. Yeah. It's always been that. Really? <laughs> wow. That your dad was hiding you from? So they existed, like... Yeah. Wow. Since the beginning. They weren't a minigame until recently, but... They've always existed. Since you guys never introduced them, like, found them, I was like, I want to do something special between seasons. Nice. This is good. You guys can be your own bad guys. Fun. I mean, a guess as to what that weapon was. If I got it right, would you tell me? Yeah. It's a sun orb, isn't it? It's more than one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I made that face because I because I had enough pieces to the puzzle to put it together, and I went, "Oh shit." Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no one doesn't have enough pieces to put it together, no. and neither really does Arminus quite have enough pieces. No. But I do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody at the table should just be like, yep, yep, this follows. Okay. That, that, that notebook of experimentation. Yep. The cache of them and that fucking yep. Maraska's trip. You guys couldn't let the indelible truth take the credit? Nope. Sorry, Vale couldn't. Yeah, we're fine letting the indelible truth take the credit. <laughs> Are you a very good uh, devil's bargain? Which we still don't know about, right? Which That's bargain? The yeah. reason why the um, Assassin's Guild took credit for killing balance. I don't remember don't why know. that Do is. We? I, I don't think we know. I don't even remember. I don't think they told us. Why, why is the glamour after Darwin? No, after your dad. Why Lord Grimm, not Master Grimm. Oh, right. Why are they after my dad? Because he just became... Uh, Lord Grimm had many contracts throughout the city of Karami, almost all with very close ties to the glamour. So it was a very incestuous business relationship. This is the rich feeding each other money. Okay. Count Valence was buying all of those to get back at Darwin. He was not knowingly acting against the glamour. He just wanted to get back at you, uh, Darwin. Wait, wait, wait. So Valence buys all the contracts away from your dad? Oh, fr- no, he buys them all away from the glamour. Uh. Which makes so everything that your dad had been providing to the Glamour and their businesses, up until recently, Count Valance had bought. Which means it's going to Valance instead of the Glamour? Yes. It was. It was. Until. And the point of that was to use as leverage against Darwin. I see. Which is why your dad was wary about Valance dying. Got it. Kind of. That's complicated. Yes, it's very complicated. <laughs> right, but now with you being in power and Valance... It looks Dying all a little too convenient. And Valens having bought all those contracts, which now technically you hold. Although technically, I guess it's me that holds technically them. You, <laughs> you all. They know that Darwin's involved, 
So they're like, yeah, sure. This is all supposedly happened without Lord Grimm's knowledge, and then his son just happened to kill the guy who bought all the contracts. Oh, I see. I see. That makes sense. So then the money uh, is just, like, circling around. It's very much like a hostile takeover. They think it was a con. Yeah. Okay. It looks very much like a con. It's like, oh, the rebellion's the front, but in the end, they're not happy. Okay, that makes sense. And they're the ones who sent the tarnished hand after you. That also makes sense. That would have to get more complicated, because you guys ran from your problems. <laughs> it's true, we did. If we hadn't, it would have been a very short campaign. <laughs> Welcome to Seasons of Skyrim, where we run from our problems. <laughs> the alternative is Seasons of Skyrim, where we all die in the first episode. Okay. So, castigation of Lord Grimm for <laughs> basically abandoning his contracts with the Glamour and selling them off to his son. Yeah. Decide whether or not you want to participate. I'm ready. Let's see them votes. It's a yes from the captain, no from nowhere, a yes from Mavic, a no from Colette, and a yes from Akiri. Uh, let's start with Mavic. Let's go the other way around the table. Mavic, what's your plan? What stat does this center around? Uh, this is for. Uh, this is. So castigation is dealt with me, not with my. Your companion. We'll carry this. I mean, sorry, let me just read this real quick. Investigation. A uh, situation in which the member of the Glamour must be punished for their misdeeds and or failures. The relative difficulty here is in regard to how difficult it will be to impose your will against another member. These are never low and rarely average difficulty, as members have great resources with which to protect themselves. These roles will be contested by the stat opposite of your own on the stats wheel, because the other member is not present. In Akiri's case, he had his companion here to defend his honor. Got it. Okay. Lord Grimm is not present, so when you send your companion out, or however you wish to face this, they will be basically unprepared. So they must react with the stat that is opposite of yours on the wheel. They will always be contested. Uh, depending on the member, you may not know where their strengths and weaknesses lie. So I select a stat, and then the opposing person would select the stat opposite from Yeah. Okay. So, um... Remind me, the goal here is to convince, or to punish yeah. Lord Grimm, right? It punish Lord Grimm, um, however you deem necessary. I'm going to use... Oh, I'm going to poison him. To what end? The intent is not actually to kill him. The, the intent is to create an addiction with which he would then fall from grace. Oh, so drugs. Yes. Okay, less po- yeah, okay. yeah. It still falls under the same yeah. like you're slipping him a substance. Yes. Unbeknownst. Hmm. Tell me about this drug you have access to. Well, I am a member <laughs> of the drug trade. Um, and so I would just, I would pick something that's, um, I had to create like a modern real world equivalent, something like cocaine, something that's like a, like a, an expensive drug that would be used by the elite. Okay. And get him uh, addicted and hooked on it by first getting him a taste, maybe not willingly, and then getting him hooked on it to the point where he loses everything. All right, what is the stat your this plan is based on? Uh, based on constitution, based on my knowledge of, of how the body works and what I need to get him hooked on. Okay, yes, I do. I want to go back here to con. Examples of stats. Um... You can wage a war of attrition, outlast any opponent. You made your fortune seeking out treasures and conditions so harsh that none were brave enough or fool enough enough to follow. You have access to drugs that allow your workers slash forces to ignore pain and exhaustion. 
I have a feeling this falls along those lines where you have access to drugs that could be beneficial in small amounts. Exactly. Okay. Let's get Lord Grimm hooked on drugs. <laughs> That's my plan. Captain Edmondson, what about you? My plan is to use charisma to basically extort money from him. Like a shit ton of money. Be like, Ooh. hey, you're in trouble with the glamour. You know those dudes mean business. But I can help make this go away for, you know, a ton of money. So Lord Grimm pays off Captain Edmondson to keep the rest of the glamour off his back. Yeah. I like it. Certainly not against any of the rules in the glamour. Uh, Ikiri will be less subtle. His plan is focused on strength. Not something he or his forces are particularly adept at, but he does know some bouncers. Uh, I think it comes down to, well, let's see how good Lord Grimm walks on his own without his damn legs. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, basically physically mauling your dad, Darwin. Nice. Alright, um... Yeah, what he rolls against is going to depend on who wins this planning session. Who has advantage? I do. I do. Ikiri does not. He rolls a single die. So everybody roll. Got an 18. Ikiri got a 13. So Captain Edmondson fucking tearing it up today. Oh, lost. Huh. Mm. You got an 18, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Captain Edmondson. Turn it up this time. All right, Captain E. Um, question. Yes. How does a clandestine effort work again? I had a feeling this is one where it would come up. So, after the initial player role has been determined, before any opposing role or DC check occurs, you can choose to take a clandestine effort in order to undermine the other member and take the credit, take the glory for this. Uh, let's see. Mm. Let's see. It may happen that after deciding you do not wish to participate in a scenario, or after failing a contested role with another member, you wish to act in a more surreptitious manner. This is the clandestine effort. This could be for any number of reasons, uh, but suffice it to say, you want control back. However, the chance to seize the momentum has passed. You can jump into the scenario, but you must do so in secret. At any point before success or failure is determined, you simply state that you wish to undertake a clandestine effort. We'll know about it, but the characters probably will not. You will roll against the member in control of the scenario with the stat opposite theirs on the stat wheel. This roll would occur now, if we determine who this wins among the players. Charisma. So you would roll yeah. Constitution. Again. Yeah, I'm gonna go you still have that. Con available to you, yep. yes? Yes, I do. Okay. You roll against the member in control of the scenario with the stat opposite theirs on the stat wheel. Uh, this occurs after the contested rolls. In this situation, you're both devoting resources to the scenario. Go ahead and mark those off. Wait, the one I already rolled? Mm-hmm. Okay. You won the scenario, so yes, this is already devoted. Got it. Only one of you can succeed, but you still both may fail. Am I rolling again for the contest? No, no. This is okay. your roll. This is your plan put into action with that 18. And I just have to beat it, right? Mm-hmm. 15. If the player making the clandestine effort is ultimately successful, it will be difficult to keep their actions secret. You were not. If you fail... The other members may uncover rumors of your deeds, but hard evidence will require effort. What was this plan of yours? Uh, your original plan was to 
basically. Oh, fuck him. Yeah, and extort oh, money. My, and, and so my plan was just to try to beat him with a punch using that con to just push my guys to get there faster than he could. And his boat's just faster. He just beat me. What would your men have done to Lord Grimm? They were going to go in and go in with the same plan, with the drug plan. Okay. So despite your efforts to send them in secretly, by the time they arrived in Karami, it was too late. Captain Edmondson and his men were already at Lord Grimm's manor. Captain Edmondson, tell us about this. Well, first we're just, you know, chatting him up a little, trying to gain his trust. He probably knows who I am, so it's not that hard. You know, people like me. Yep, he recognizes you as another member of the Glamour. Yeah. So he invites me in, and he's happy to have me, and we get to talk in, and I frame it like I'm his friend, like I'm the good guy, I'm trying to help him out on all this, and, you know, my men are there also being very compassionate toward the situation he's in, and eventually we just put forth this author of, hey, I can make this go away, but it's gonna take a lot of gold. Look, I don't want any trouble with the glamour, but what you're asking for, I'll, I'll practically be broke. Well, you're going to get the money. I just want Captain Edmondson to know. What, that he'll be broke? It's just basically a rich guy living off debt now. Does Captain Edmondson even care? Not particularly. <laughs> He's got a job to do. All right, if it'll keep if it will keep the others off of my back. It and will. away from the city. It will. Okay. And now the majority of Lord Grimm's money is going to Captain Edmondson. <laughs> Just uh, bankrupted yourself. I did. Bankrupted myself. <laughs> yeah, I did. Darwin's inheritance just shrank. All right. That's the last of our scenarios. And now is the point where I would ask if anybody wants to dispatch another member. No. But I think. I feel the need to kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm basically like a last ditch effort to undo plans. Okay, so I get prestige for that, right? You do get prestige for that. Nice. So, end of session. A session ends once all the scenarios have been addressed, and all companion actions have been taken. Prestige earned during the session is added up for each member. How much did you get? Two. What about you, Malik? I got one, and uh, Nowhere's got one. Uh, nowhere earned one. The authors did not get any, did they? No, Colette got one. But that means that our good Captain Edmondson, with Raven lemons by his side... And handsome. <laughs> the handsome... And brave and fearless. <laughs> the handsome and brave and fearless Captain Edmondson came out with the most prestige during this meeting of the glamour. As such, you get an extra point of prestige for every member present. Nice. Which is five additional. Uh, because you've basically increased your worth in the eyes of everybody present. Nice. And next time, a year mm -hmm. from now, just cast that out and put it in. <laughs> well, that'd be, yeah, that'd be at your starting. Got it. So what do we have here? To sum up. Nowhere has gained access to and knowledge of anyway. <laughs> stable teleportation. Still in the experimental phase, but probably sure to grow. Captain Edmondson lost many men going after the salvage of the Rosethi freighter in the Night Sea. Mavic and his forces have gained control of a devastating weapon, the indelible truth, brought to bear in Vermilion, the capital of Sarakar. Captain Edmondson's companion... Lemons proved his worth against Mistress Sangal, Akiri's companion, effectively punishing Akiri for his punishing Akiri for letting his vice bring too much heat to the glamour. A priestess died, but 
uh, Akiri has been sufficiently punished in the eyes of the glamour, if not the law. Captain Edmondson lost even more men on the road to Karami against the Chaos Mages, uh, one of whom drowned themselves in the sea, believing <laughs> he was a fish. <laughs> Princess Colette has convinced Chief Deercroft and the hill giants of Sarakar to become isolationists and prevent anyone from interfering with their way of life, rather than see the city of Earl fall. And Captain Edmondson once again showing some initiative and strength here within the glamour, has successfully extorted Lord Grimm out of much of his earnings, uh, sending the Grimm family significantly down the ladder of standing, despite some attempted interference from Mavic, whose men were just too slow. And Akiri stands up, the business complete. Well, everybody, I want to thank you for your attentions today, and I wish you the best of luck in your efforts. I do not know when the next meeting shall be, but rest assured you will be contacted if anything needs your attention. Do keep an eye out. And as all of the members of the Glamour take their leave, with visions of fortune and power and control playing in their heads, the Ocean Breeze guests, filling the sails of numerous personal ships, which will bear you away from this island and carry the Glamour's influence across the land. What does this mean for the people of Sarakar? Will the Glamour continue to shape the world unimpeded? And how will this impact the plans of Darwin, Aranus, and Vale for the future? Join us as we find out what happens together in Seasons of Skyrend, Book 2. And with that, we'll bring this chapter to a close. But the story will always continue. Podcast art created by Vanessa Blockland. You can find more of her art on Facebook or at vanessablockland.com. Blockland spelled B-L-O-K-L-A-N-D. Podcast music by Daryl Dibber Reconos. You can find more of his music at dibber.mo or at soundcloud.com slash dibbermusic. Dibber spelled D-I-B-U-R. Website design by Patrick Dunkerley over at dunkdesigns.com. Thank you for listening to this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find us. If you want to chat, we're on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast, or you can email us at skyrendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at skyrendpodcast.com. This week's chapter is made possible thanks to our wonderful cast and crew, all of you amazing listeners, and our special friends who would like to say hello. In a world of super-powered heroes and maniacal villains... Will you stop flitting around and fight like a woman? Says the person fighting with a living beard. Irony is always lost on you villain types. 
A father and daughter strive to keep the city of Fox Bay safe. Remember, bearded woman is a regular person under all that beard. As long as the beard doesn't grab you, you should be okay. I know, Dad. Use your gauntlet. Don't fight her toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Dad, I know. If you need any help... Dad, I got this. <laughs> Have fun, princess. How does Jacqueline Mackenzie balance her dual lives? And when Battle Jack's archenemy, Dr. Chimera's latest attack has tragic results. Battle Jack, Battle Jack, Battle Jack. You had to know it was always going to end like this. Arrow Girl's life will never be the same. A regular girl, a jetpack, a gorilla sidekick. A city full of super criminals. Well, maybe not so regular. To hear more from our heroic heroine and her gallant gorilla, head to arrowgirladventures.podbean.com.